This is Amanda Hahn. And I'm Josh Waltman. You're listening to the Librarian Lunch Break Podcast. With bite-sized episodes for academic library professionals hungry for what's next. Well, hello, this is Josh Waltman, and I'm here with Amanda Hahn for our first interview as part of our Library and Lunch Break podcast series where we're focusing on uh, really looking at early career librarianship in this particular series. Um, and today we have a really fantastic interview lined up with the Enterprise Systems Librarian at James Branch Cabell Library at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. That is Mr. Tim Siegel himself. Hey, Tim. Howdy, everyone. How are y'all doing today? We're good. Thanks for being here. My privilege. I feel like we can't go any further before we address what happened the first time that we tried to schedule this interview, Tim. It's true. Are you trying to get me to admit to the fact that I did not reply to the email that told you <laughs> that I would agree to be on the podcast? Yeah, so let it known to all future people that we interview that we will embarrass you on the air if you agree to do this and then uh, don't respond to our email. That, that's actually the whole point of the entire podcast, is that's my number one tip is always reply to email. It might have backfired because I actually felt really guilty yeah. that Tim was sitting there waiting for us to call him right. when we did not know that that time was confirmed. I really so. do. I do wish that I could read Tim's mind, but unfortunately that has not been a skill But that's why developed. we have this interview, so that he can share what's on his mind. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, that's fair. All right, Tim. Well, thank you again for agreeing to uh, meet with us and, and be interviewed by us. We have some uh, questions for you, and we'll kind of see where the conversation goes. Uh, first question, tell us a little bit about your library and your role there. So I work at the James Branch Cabell Library in Richmond, Virginia, as part of Virginia Commonwealth University. It's one of two libraries there. Um, we have one on our primary campus and one on our medical campus. Um, in my role as the Enterprise Systems Librarian, I'm responsible for the oversight and maintenance of our Alma, EasyProxy, and Iliad environment, and then I work alongside our digital engagement team to uh, make modifications to our discovery service, which in this case is Exlibris' Primo interface. Yeah, I mean, to, to me that sounds an awful lot like, you know, those are your, the big picture kind of bird's eye view of the things that you're responsible for. What does, what does a daily, you know, sort of, what, what's your day look like in terms of a routine? What are you working on? How does that, how does that play itself out on a day-by-day -day basis? Well, a lot of times I'll, I'll get in and I'll check the uh, myriad of emails that I've gotten overnight um, and just check to see whether or not there are issues that have popped up. We are a 24-5 library um, with hours also on the weekend. Uh, and so there's constant um, circulation and constant work going on in the library, whether or not we're on site or not. So I want to make sure that I'm constantly looking into any problems that could occur and be able to address them as quickly as possible, especially as we might have issues that occur only overnight and you have a limited amount of time where you can deal with those individuals. Yeah, that's a good point. And so... I'm just curious as a um, enterprise systems librarian, how much how much are you considering customer service? I mean, how does that play into your role since you're dealing dealing with things that happen overnight and so forth? Well, it's it's definitely an important consideration. Um, mainly, what we try to do is make sure that everything that is done via a system is going to be 
as um, routine and workflow as possible, or routine and workflow as possible, so that uh, all the people who are here during the hours where the primary staff are not available don't run into situations that they don't know how to solve on their own. Mm. And what I'm hearing in that too is that you're working with really all departments. So you say, you know, your title systems librarian, but really you're working within all of these other departments to make sure that those systems are operating as they should. Am I kind of reading that correctly? Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely have a role in assisting various departments. Um, I I wanna my primary responsibility is ensuring that those primary back-end library systems are functioning in the way that they should. Um, and since a lot of the activity that goes on in the physical library is handled via our Alma LSP, uh, I, I really have to do um, interactions with all the various departments in order to make sure that all of their needs are accounted for, regardless of how small or how big they are. It's a big job. So how did you kind of end up here? What led you to this position and what did your kind of career path look like entering into libraries? Well, uh, originally I um, started out as working in a computer lab um, at, a, at a place called Liberty University. I'm, I'm sure you all may be familiar with that. I place. think we might be familiar, yeah. I have heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, so I, I worked there and I sort of worked my way up from a student worker up to a supervisor and eventually got to the point where um, there was really no room for um, moving up in promotion um, unless I decided to go and get an advanced degree. So after some serious uh, consultation with several people, um, I, I sort of decided, you know, I really like being in the library environment. I really like helping people. Research is something that I'm fairly good at. Um, and I think that I have the skills that would allow me to interface between the library and between technology systems. So I decided to go to library school and sort of pursue a degree in information sciences so that I could um, get a role as a librarian and handle the more technology-focused aspects of that. Uh, Field. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things we talked about in a previous episode, Tim, was how some people kind of fall into the profession not knowing too much about it beforehand, and others really are very intentional and moving towards that um, from the from the get go. Would you say you fall into one or the other camp? I'd say I'd say I I fell more into the I knew about the library before I got into it. Um, sure. I actually was doing a role similar to an enterprise systems librarian role prior to going to library school, mm. um, but it was more about the making sure that you actually had the degree um, so that you could speak with authority on the systems that you were using. Um, so my my degree program was fairly interesting because I would go into a lot of the classes that were sort of introductions to the technology, and I was already pretty intimately familiar with them. So it did give me a different perspective than perhaps some of my colleagues and classmates. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, you know, how going into the library program can really, you know, wh whether or not you have library experience can really shape your educational experience from there on. Another thing that I just, uh, I heard you say was, um, you know, you went into the profession 
in part because you really enjoyed helping people. And that seems to be something that I've noticed in a lot of librarians is just that overall willingness and desire to help people with their research, with their information needs, whatever it is. Um, that seems to be a common thread among all librarians. Uh, have you found that to be the case? Oh, I definitely think that's perhaps one of the most important qualities of like becoming a librarian. Um, you really have to have the desire to see people uh, succeed and see people reach their fullest potential. And that's one of the primary things that we do as a librarian. Yeah, that's great. All right, so uh, what are what are the things that you've learned by being in libraries that you wish you had known coming into the profession? What, what do you what do you wish you had known way back in the day? Well, I think I think maybe one of the things that I would have liked to know before I had gotten into a profession is that sometimes um, you have to make um, decisions that you wouldn't necessarily make on your own. Uh, based around workflows that weren't decided by yourself. Uh, and you, you sort of have to put yourself second and realize that your, your job is actually to help other people uh, fulfill their mission in overall an attempt to make the university and the library succeed. Um, and so you're really there in a support role. And while you're, you're able to suggest uh, enhancements to workflows, you really have to take into account everybody's perspective and see not just what would be the best and most optimal solution for yourself, but also in order to accommodate everybody else and their needs as well. I think that's a great point. Um, we just recently upgraded to a new library system. We implemented Alma, and I feel like that was one of the conversations that came up of how well does the system work for each department and not just one, even if it's the best option for one, we want to make sure it works for circulation, acquisitions, cataloging, ILL. Yeah, yeah and, and even beyond that, not just internally, um, but also for our stakeholders. Um, you know, will this system support faculty, researchers on the outside, community members, undergrad, grads, you know, and how will that interface with the system? And taking all of that together, we had to make some decisions. Um, I, and it seems like that falls right in line with uh, the mentality that you're describing. Definitely it does. In fact, we use Alma here at uh, PCU as well. Great. I might be uh, giving you a phone call or two about a couple of questions I have for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, feel, feel free to. I'm active on the uh, Alma listserv as well, and uh, it's a great resource for additional information and help from librarians all throughout the, not only just the country, but the world as well. So we've talked a little bit now about what you do and how you got there, but what do you kind of think about where the profession is going? What is the direction of library practice, especially as it relates to you? What are some of the things that are coming up that you're reading or hearing about? Well, I, d I definitely think that there's, there's several uh, things that are going on in libraries. I mean, obviously there's the desire to uh, reduce the overall expenditures of college students and the library is really making efforts in order to reduce the ulti or the overall expenses that are associated with our collections while still keeping fairly uh, robust collections out there available for our students. Um, and so I see the, the need to make open access resources more available 
That's something that's really becoming a huge focus in academic research libraries. Also, the ability to sort of take these um, cloud software as a service platforms and expand them via the um, open APIs that are available for a, for a bunch of different sources to make sure that while they can't necessarily be customized and fine-tuned for the individual needs of each university because they have to serve the overall customer base, you can then use those APIs to customize them and make uh, external applications function in the way to meet those potential deficiencies in those programs. So I think that that's really a big thing that's going on in this area of specialization is just seeing how you can make your resources more optimal to your university and then also how to make resources more available um, to our students and in a more cheap and efficient manner. You know, Tim, librarians are constantly, or at least I've seen a surge of librarians in support and advocating for open access initiatives here in the past few years. What do you think are the biggest barriers um, for universities jumping on that bandwagon? Well, I think, I think one of the big things is just the education surrounding open access journals. I think that there was a lot of um, potential damage done by sort of the early predatory journals and the ones that were associated in the early days as not being of the highest quality when it came to open access. But that really has sort of turned around and open access is seen as just as good, if not better. I mean, in fact, over over in Europe, you might have heard of Plan S. It's talking about making all of the funded uh, research in the science field, making that open access and making that the primary means of access. So you're seeing that it's really becoming not just a push at the university level, but at a governmental level as well. Um, so. Open access, definitely uh, one of the things holding it back is just education of how quality the resources are. And I think that once we're able to do that via things such as like our open education librarians and really just going into classrooms and telling people about these resources that they can use and um, promoting it on our websites and just telling people that this is open and you don't have to pay $50 an article for this, we want to make this available to you as, as easily as possible, then students are going to start to realize the value of this open access research. And then how do you think we can encourage faculty and other librarians to publish in those places? Because I know for many things like tenure is something that they're working towards. So they might have different requirements as far as where they are expected to publish. How do you think we can kind of encourage open access as a model for that? I, I, think, I think the way that we can encourage them is just to increase the knowledge and availability of quality open access resources to our faculty and students. And I think once the faculty start to see the level of quality research that's coming out of open access journals, then they're going to want to submit their public their articles for publication within those resources. I think you're seeing moves by 
the University of California system, getting out of the big deal and right. hoping hmm. um, in order to uh, make their their faculty's contributions, trying to make make sure that those are considered open access um, and freely available. As you see the larger universities sign on, that further encourages other faculty at other universities throughout the world to also contribute to those, which then increases the legitimacy of those publications. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point, and I think it's a, it's a real action point for librarians to advocate in that way. So speaking of publications, for a new library school graduate or someone that perhaps has just gotten their first librarian position, or maybe even they haven't quite graduated yet, but they're thinking about how to contribute to library scholarship in general. How can someone get into, I know that from your CV that you've got a number of presentations and publications. How can someone get into contributing to library scholarship in general? I think one of the things that is important to remember is that no contribution to the field is too small. If you're having an issue, others are going to have an issue. And it seems like maybe the smaller the issue, the less important it seems. But actually, you'll find that there's a lot of interest in how to do those, because some may not feel comfortable asking what they would deem as being something entry level out on like listservs, but they would come and go to a presentation that talked about an introduction and learning as though it's fresh. Um, and so it really gives you the opportunity to share with others what you're learning and through like the Q&As that take place during these sessions, you then get to interact with other people and maybe a question that they ask will spark an idea in your head and you can go back and you can play around with that and see if you can refine that. I know a lot of my uh, publication and a lot of my research um, has been based on real-world application. I'll, be, I'll have a request um, of how to do certain things, and I'll get, I'll get responses back saying, oh, that's not possible, or it's really difficult to do this, or we've never done this before. And I'll go and use that as sort of a challenge accepted kind of moment to go in and try to do it myself. And if I'm able to do it, most of the times it's with one of my, one or more of my colleagues' help as well. Um, we go in and we try to make this workflow either more efficient or make it actually work when it previously hadn't. Now you've come up with a solution to a problem, and now you can present on that. And what you can do is use that as a real-world opportunity to help train others. And especially in the technology aspects of librarianship, that's something that people are constantly wanting to know is how to learn from others, I wouldn't say mistakes, but from others' um, issues that they had, how to overcome those and lead to the best overall outcome. So when it comes to sitting down and actually writing out that presentation proposal or um, article proposal, do you have any tips that you would recommend to people that are kind of just learning how to do that? I would say probably start early because um, if you're anything like me, I tend to sort of use technobabble a little bit when I'm writing my first draft of the presentation. <laughs> and then I have to go in and sort of remove a lot of the 
librarianese out of it, um, as many call it, and and make sure that it's understandable for people outside of that particular context to understand exactly what's going on and why that research and why that presentation would be beneficial to them. So making sure that you can broaden out the appeal and make it not necessarily just about that one particular concept, but making it uh, available to others. Thanks for that, Tim. Um, I really like what you said about nothing that you add to scholarship is too small, because I think so often I get into the rut of thinking that what I'm doing isn't necessarily new enough or innovative enough or groundbreaking enough. But I do also think that I've gone to conferences where I've sat in sessions um, and learned something about maybe just a different teaching technique or a specific way that they did something um, that doesn't necessarily shake librarianship to the ground and build up something brand new. Um, but these small things really can be influential in giving you those takeaways that you can take and put into practice. Yeah, and it's also true that it seems to me that our profession is fairly unique in that um, we're serving a variety of different types of stakeholders. We are, as you said, we're a support system, at least in the academic context, for other programs. And very much so, it's it's not that we necessarily have to contribute via new theory, but sometimes it, the best presentations or the best articles have to do with practice. And that, that really, I think, is hammered home by your example of, of finding a need and then the things that you've learned with you know boots on the ground and putting that into scholarship form is, is are really, really helpful. Yeah, practical application is definitely the area of presentation that I go to whenever I whenever I go to a conference. I look specifically at like this is an I this is a problem that I'm encountering or this is something that I've heard about and I want to learn more about it. Seeing those sort of um, find out what we did, those kind of presentations, like, have you had this issue? This is what we found as a solution. Come with your questions and we'll come with our answers. That kind of presentation is always the ones that I seem to find to be the most helpful um, because then you really get to learn and you get to realize that we're all librarians, all struggling with the same kind of things. There's no like new problem out there there's always going to be someone else encountering the same issue or at least something similar that you can then go back and apply to your own library. So as you've been doing these things professional development wise, have there been any conferences that stand out to you as being especially helpful for your position or maybe any organizations or listservs that you would recommend for people that want to dig more into these topics? So when I was first starting out, um, in my first couple of years as a systems librarian, I really found going to computers and libraries um, from Information Today, um, going to that conference. It's typically held every year in Washington, D.C. That, was that was a really helpful conference right there in my early days because it's a lot of early career librarians. We're all getting together to talk about issues. It's not just academic libraries. There's also public libraries. There's private universities. There's public universities. And they represent a wide range of different systems and technology implementations. So really, it gives you this 
really good uh, landscape overall picture of what's going on in the uh, field. And so I found that really helpful at the beginning. Then um, I try to go every year to ERNL, um, Electronic Resources and Libraries, even though I don't necessarily deal primarily with electronic resources, that is a key component of my workflow is that I'm trying to help provide access to our online journals. And so anything that I can learn about counter data, anything that I can learn about methodologies for improving access and workflows and getting the, the turnaround time from subscription of a journal to making it available to the end user, any time that I can learn more about that, that becomes really helpful because that way I can assist with others and it gives me a better picture of what those of my colleagues are dealing with on a daily basis. Thanks, Tim. Um, I'm jotting down some of those that I can recommend them to other people later. And we want to thank you for your time today, taking the time out of your day just to share with us. But we do have one final question for you. And okay, this is one, well, that was not on the list. I was going to say, this so is one that we did didn't include. We did not prepare you um, because we wanted to go for a more off-the-cuff answer. Okay. Um, because as, as you know, as most people that work in a library know, sometimes crazy stuff happens. And then later, when you're trying to tell people, they're like, that that happened in a library? Um, so what's like something kind of crazy that you've witnessed just throughout your career so far? Mm, a, your your best think. library story, if you will. I'm, try, I'm trying to think, because there's been, there's been a lot of interesting library stories. Um, I'm trying to think. Don't want to become too specific. Um, but I don't want to be too generic. Yeah, we don't want to get you in trouble with this answer. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's definitely not do that. We might have to uh, edit out some of this, some <laughs> of this white noise here. Let me see. I know that one time there was a tattoo parlor that opened up inside of a group study room during a late night. That was an interesting encounter that I found. <laughs> um, you but, all but were, the, were, the ta- were the tattoos quality is the real question there. I don't know. Mine wasn't. Okay. Um, oh, oh, wait, oh, wait. Oh, wait. Sorry. No. I, I can neither confirm nor deny that they were of high quality. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I, could, I could say maybe, okay, this is a interesting. Oh, wait. No, I probably can't say that. That's... <laughs> I think it's safe um, to say that sometimes students just use our building for things that we did not expect. Pop-up flea markets we've seen around here recently. That was really interesting. I think we've had some uh, instances where people are um, dressing up as Disney characters and then having... Yeah, I'm not quite sure crazy, what they're doing. Yeah, but. some crazy costumes and stuff come through the building quite often. I don't know what's going on there. Sometimes I don't want to ask too many questions. That's <laughs> true. Okay. Well, thank you again, Tim, for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you for listening. I hope that you tune in next time for our next episode of Librarian Lunch Break. We we are in the middle of planning our next few interviews and scheduling those out. And I think there's going to be some great content coming up. So thanks for joining us and we will hear from you next time.